The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Totally Useless Information Podcast with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And today on the show... We will talk about these topics. Fashion. Sex. We will discover inventions. And take a look back at history. Listen, laugh, and learn. Welcome to Season 3, Episode Lucky 13. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. The Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. This is how smart we are. We ask other people what they've invented. Innovation. Ideas. The Totally Useless Information Podcast presents Inventions. And speaking of smart, my first invention today is a smart jacket. I thought you were going to go to me. You said, speaking of smart, I thought you were going to say, what do you have, Roy? <laughs> well, yes. Go ahead, Nick. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. <laughs> how, how unsmart of me. <laughs> this is a smart jacket with a built-in heater. Because we all need one of those. I mean, you live in Florida. You'd want one of these, wouldn't you? No, I would die in that. I almost died today. It was 95 degrees. 95 degrees. You don't need a built-in heater. The FlexArm jacket has special heating elements built in the back, chest, and wrist areas. With the help of special sensors, you can adjust the heat in accordance to your wishes. A useful discovery that will be appreciated by everyone. The Flex Warm jacket. The wheel was invented in 3500 before Christ. Did you get that one? 3,500 years before Jesus walked the earth. It was not invented for travel. In fact, it was not even invented to help transport goods or anything. The first wheel was invented for pottery. Remember in, in the, what was that movie where the ghost comes? Ghost. Yes, ghost. Okay, the first wheel was invented for pottery, and it took some 300 years for people to figure out to attach it to a cart. What the hell were they doing, making a lot of pottery in China and crap? Yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. I mean, imagine the first flat. You'd have to call, like, AAA and have to wait 300 years. Exactly. That's the problem, Nick. That, that in itself is the problem. <laughs> that's right. If you have a flat in the very first wheel made out of stone... You needed a spare stone, right? You need a spare. It's like going to the Goodyear place. It's a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the expression, he's the chip off the old block came from. No, we don't know. So there's a food scanner, Telspec. They had invented something that's released for those who want to quickly and accurately know the composition of a dish. It scans the products, then sends a list of ingredients and information about the nutritional value to a special phone app, of course. You don't need to worry about the safety of the products you eat because you know exactly what's in there. So if you have any sort of food allergies and it's not necessarily, uh, you know, you don't know exactly what's in there, using this Telspec food scanner, it'll help you. It could save your life. 
Yeah. And if it eats it for you, you could lose some weight. <laughs> yes. That's that's <laughs> when they up, update the uh, the app. 2.1. Have a big fat computer. When we think of the printing press, we think of 1450. And Johann Gutenberg from Liechtenstein. No, he's not from Liechtenstein, but he was from Deutschland. But guess what? The real inventor of the printing press, his name was Bai Sheng. Bai Sheng of China. And he invented it in 1045. And the first words were, screw you, Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure that's exactly what it said, and he and he spelt it right too. Yeah. Uh, no, I know this sounds like it's the food segment, but my invention said there are a couple of them that have to do with food. So I talked about the food scanner, but Toll House cookies. And the reason why I chose this as the invention is because it was invented by mistake, mm. or was it? We're not sure. The chocolate chip cookie, of course, was invented by American chefs Ruth Graves Wakefield and Sue Brides in 1938. They invented the recipe during the period when she owned Toll House Inn, uh, as in Toll House Cookies, in Whitman, Massachusetts. So she came up with the Toll House cookie. She added chopped up bits from Nestle's semi-sweet chocolate bar into the cookie. Now, the original recipe in Toll House Tried and True Recipes is called Toll House Chocolate Crunch Cookies. Wakefield gave Nestle the recipe for her cookies, and she was paid with... A lifetime supply of chocolate from Nestle's. No. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah, that's it. I mean, they said initially that it was a mistake, but she knew what she was doing. She said, no, 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 this was not a mistake. I intentionally put the chocolate chips into the cookie. So now she has a lifetime supply of Nestle's chocolate. Steel, metal, you know, steel, changed yes. the world. When we think of steel, we think of bridges and skyscrapers. But guess what? Steel was invented in 1800 before Christ. Now, again, this is like we think all this stuff came about, you know, in the last few hundred years, but, you know, or even a thousand years. But this is 1800 years before Jesus walked the earth or they invented steel because they wanted better knives and swords and battle gear. And because I'll tell you the truth. It really hurts like hell to get stabbed with a wooden sword. Yes. <laughs> with all the splinters and everything. And then, of course, you get run over by a stone wheel. Right. With a piece of pottery attached to it. <laughs> yes. And, and your day is now complete. Now, we've all used this product, ScotchGuard. ScotchGuard is the wonderful thing you spray on materials while it was invented by mistake. What? Patsy Sherman was a chemist for 3M. We know the company 3M. Part of her project was to develop a rubber material that would not deteriorate from exposure to jet aircraft fuels. What she created was what we now know today, a Scotchgard. So she accidentally dropped the mixture she was working on. She dropped it on her shoe. While the rest of her shoe became dirty and stained, the one spot remained bright and clean. She retraced her steps and identified the stain-resistant compound known today as Scotchgard. She retraced her steps and took a dive into a pool of Scotchgard, and she's been squeaky clean since that day. Now, this one's a confusing one to me. The compass was invented 
in the 5th century before Christ. Now, you notice there's a pattern here. Every one of my inventions was before Christ. And if you notice, nobody knows who the hell actually invented them, although we do know what century and and, and a basic time frame. So the compass was invented in the 5th century B.C., again, before Christ. We we didn't even have the wheel, I think, but they had a compass. Where the hell were they going? But anyway, (laughs) get ready for this one. It was invented in China, the same country that walled itself in and walled itself up from the rest of the world, had a compass to tell them how to get everywhere they needed to go, and they couldn't go because there was a wall. (laughs) Worst of it all, the Mexicans didn't pay for their wall. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I I know that the slogan, the marketing slogan should have been, you'd be lost without us. <laughs> You're listening to totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Oh yeah. All about sex. Are you hot in here or is it just me? Um just in case you're wondering, uh we don't go overboard in the sex topic. But for those of you who need to be reminded The following segment of the Totally Useless Information Podcast may be too sultry and too sexy for some listeners. For the rest of you, tough. <laughs> Speak for yourself that you don't go overboard. Okay, get ready for this one. Sex education. So let's see. Teens talking about sex in school should make them want to do it, right? Yeah. Wrong. Ooh. 2012 Gutenberg Institute study showed It actually delays teen sex. Okay? It delays teen sex. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When I was in school and they did sex education, that big plastic vagina scared me. It was like two feet tall and the teacher had it on the desk. So for years, I thought a vagina was like the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Now, let me tell you folks at home, because me and Nick know each other for a very, very long time. We both we went yes. to high school together and we're best of friends in high school. But Nick entered into a raffle and was able well, just to give you an idea how old we are. Nick entered into a raffle and was able to take home a computer for the summer, which was like a big deal. I entered a raffle, too, but it was for the two-foot plastic vagina. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it kept us busy for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> what, the computer? <laughs> cuddling. The age-old controversy, cuddling. Is it really, really necessary? Does it really help? According to a study done by the Kinsey Institute, men and women both were likely to report sexual satisfaction if they also reported frequent kissing caressing and cuddling nick yes for play no no just two of us <laughs> on the other hand <laughs> on the other hand on the other hand i guess yes for men having more sex partners in their lifetime was a predictor of less sexual satisfaction so not enough cuddling so cuddling is the key mhm Mm -hmm. According to a 2011 study, one in 13 teen girls age 14 to 19 reported having group sex. I am appalled at this, and and I'm I'm upset about the study. What the hell is going on? I know this wasn't going on in 1980, 
Because group sex, I mean, when I was 14, I was working on solo sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a lot of times you had a headache. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got disgusted with myself. <laughs> That's right. And, and then you try to cuddle and it become really, it became really embarrassing. Here's another study of frequency. You see, that this is boys and girls out there, you have to study, right? Without studying, you won't learn stuff. There's another study that shows frequent kissing or cuddling, as we mentioned, predicted happiness in a relationship for men, but not for women. Mm. Both men and women reported more happiness the longer they had been together. So over time, they get happier and happier. So frequent kissing is the key. Oh, jeez. Me and my wife have been together, what, 35 years, 36 years? Yeah. We're so damn happy. <laughs> 1983 to 2003, sexy ads have increased by almost 30%. That's a big, big jump. Most of it in alcohol ads, entertainment, and beauty ads, which makes a lot of sense because let's say, like, for instance, you're a company and you say, like, you want to make a commercial that says, wow, I feel and look so sexy in my Depends, or like a food <laughs> commercial Wow, I put Tabasco sauce in my food. Gee, I'm hot. <laughs> or is it just a hot flash? I'm not quite sure. According to a 2019 study, relieving stress is, has a lot to do with sex. Sex can serve as the natural way to relieve stress. And nowadays we have lots of stress. The study looked at the effect that intimacy with a partner had on cortisol levels. Cortisol, as we know, is a steroid that circulates the body in response to stress. The researchers in this study found that expressions of intimacy, whether sexual or not, help to bring cortisol levels in both males and females back within the normal range. These are sex triggers and the release of these endorphins and other, quote, feel-good hormones, which may be responsible for this stress-reducing effect should be stress-free i mean damn it's sex <laughs> 90 percent of scientists are morons every question that me and nick ever do in sex is like the gutenberg institute did a study yeah scientists don't get sex so they love doing studies about it okay what moron did this study guys and gals lose their virginity at the same time okay so basically, the gay and lesbian community makes up for like 2 or 3% of the population, okay? Mm -hmm. So doesn't it make sense that boys lose their virginity at about the same time as girls if that's what they're doing? Moron, scientist, ah, ah, wake up. When you're 14 years old, you don't date a 20-year-old girl. So of course they're losing it about the same time. They're probably in the same grade together or some crap. This is how, how smart these scientists are. If a male and a female, or if the two partners have sex at the same time, for the first time, they will lose their virginity at the same time. Of course, they're together. It's a stupid thing. It's a stupid thing. And this coming from the stupid scientist who is probably a 30-year-old virgin. Yes. <laughs> to all the scientists out there, we love what you do. Uh, there is a, you know, you've heard of recession, right? Economic recession. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, there is such a thing as a sex recession. Now, Cosmo conducted a survey, which is like a study, the one that's tucked behind the dirties, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Cosmo 
conducted a nationally representative survey on over a thousand people. Their findings showed that 71% of millennials feel personally satisfied with how much sex they're having. 71% of millennials. Wow. 62% of the millennials think their friends are having plenty of sex too. So it, it's really cool to be a millennial, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or at least imagining that you're having enough sex. Yes. <laughs> you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Fashion Show. That's right. We have a fashion segment here now because we have been listening to the emails and uh, people left us messages and they said, we'd love for you guys to do useless information about fashion. And so guess what we did? We listened. I love, I love that music too. But what I, what I like most of all is me and Nick doing fashion. It's like such, that is the ultimate oxymoron. <laughs> yes. We put the moron in oxymorons. <laughs> Ralph Lauren's real name is Ralph Lipschitz. Could you see it at the Academy Awards when they go, who are you wearing? And they go, I'm wearing a Lipschitz. And my guest is sporting an ass talks tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if tuxedos can talk. <laughs> oh, well, of course, oh. he changed it to Lauren because I think that, you know, Ralph, Ralph Lipschitz would have been, you know. Unless maybe he was in love with Sophia Loren. Mm. In the 1970s, we all remember the uh, fashion from the 1970s, and if you don't remember it, you can look it up. But popular early 1970s fashions for women included tie-dye shirts, ponchos, capes, and the Mexican peasant blouse. Mm. Now, if you're wondering what that is, women's peasant tops and blouses based on traditional European peasant dress. This informal top typically features a wide neck, short and puffed or long full sleeves, an elastic or smocking at the waist, cuffs, and neckline. The Mexican peasant blouse from the 1970s. Nick is really starting to get into this fashion thing. You're actually describing the sewing techniques. And they puckered the seams with a little chiffon uh, material and then put a little batting in it to give it a little bit of a sturdiness. Okay, Louboutin and Jimmy Choo, stick this in your shoebox. Harry Winston, the famous British shoe designer, had a ruby pair of slippers that he came up with and designed, and he sold them for $3 million. They were actual oh. rubies. They sold for $3 million, and Harry Winston... A uh, famous British um, jeweler designer, I believe. And uh, so Harry Winston has the most expensive shoes, not uh, Louboutin or Jimmy, not to be uh, Louis Vuitton, Louboutin. That's the uh, ones Vuitton. with the red red bottoms on the shoes. You watch television now. now, you'll see all the girls put their leg up so you could see the red bottom of their shoes. My wife has like 250 pairs of shoes. She has a complete shoe fetish, which works out well because I have a foot fetish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, if the shoe fits. Yeah. Uh, in the 1980s, because I'm going along some of the decades, that was a decade in terms of fashion with bold style and colors and silhouettes and heaping amounts of permed hair. 
mm-hmm. with trends spanning from ripped tight and biker jackets to polished oversized blazers and poof skirts. And you know what a poof skirt is, is when a girl farts and goes poof. Uh, and, st- <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> a poof skirt. And a, no, that's not really true. And style icons are ra- raging from. You were jo- Lipschitz. That's why not only are her heels red, so is her face. Uh, <laughs> style icons ra- raging from Joan Jett and Joan Collins. It was one of the most eclectic decades in fashion, the 1980s. Once again, if you can remember it, that's awesome. If not, look it up. My goodness, uh, that was quite something in terms of fashion in the 1980s. Czar. Remember the members-only jackets? Yeah, I never quite understood how to become a member of the members-only yeah, well, it was members only. You couldn't just buy it. You had to go in there and join up first. Nowadays, people wear designer clothing to show their status in society. The same thing happened in the Middle Ages. Poor women, poor, poor women wore mittens, while rich women wore gloves with fingers to show off their status. Okay which made it hard for poor women to express themselves with their middle finger, if you know what I mean. So the rich women just thought the poor women were just waving and very friendly. <laughs> Mittens versus uh, gloves. Yeah. See, now we often talk about on this show, on Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, there's at least one or two items that you remember, because we throw a lot of information at you. But there's, I think that's one of the things people are going to remember and tell their friends all about. Very good. Nylon stockings. Stockings from the past were made of wool. They were quite itchy. In 1935, American chemist at DuPont introduced nylon, a fiber which promised to be stronger than steel and thinner than a spider web. Mm. In no time, nylon stockings became the bestseller. They had a beautiful fit and they were durable and inexpensive. Nylon tights were soon introduced as well as synthetic legwear. Didn't they have silk stockings, too? Yeah, they did have silk stockings, but um, the nylon stockings were the number one stocking preferred by bank robbers. W. Griffith, not known for a fashion, was a big deal silent movie producer and director. But he thought women's eyes could look so much better on film, so he created the first fake eyelashes. Oh. So if you're going to get something out of this show, that's a cool one. He actually made the eyelashes so that these women's eyes would stand out because, of course, there was no sound, so they were doing a lot of gestures with their facial expressions and eyes and so on and so forth. He helped the male actors when he rolled up some socks and put them... Well, okay, that's another story. (laughs) 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 Designer and model Mary Quant had a small... And trendy shop in London. Maybe Mary Quant had a small and quaint shop in London. In the late 1950s, the miniskirt became a bestseller, as well as a subject of fury among the general population. Could you imagine in the 1950s, short miniskirts? Mm -hmm. But then the 1960s happened, and the rebellious bunch started to complain, and the miniskirt became a necessary attribute of every woman. It was even worn by Jacqueline Kennedy. Go-go boots. Oh, yeah. The miniskirt was worn by Jacqueline Kennedy. Queen Elizabeth II honored Mary Quant with the Order of the British Empire Medal. 
Way to go. Good thing she gave her a medal and didn't put on a miniskirt because the queen is not a looker. Well, I'll tell you this much. So when I first read this, I didn't see the comma or the, the punctuation. So the way I read it was it was worn by Jacqueline Kennedy and Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> Let me tell you something, though. Did you ever see a picture of Queen Elizabeth when she was helping out in the army? No, she was a looker. Good looking woman. Yeah. I mean, she's just like, what, 435, you know, so that that's why she looks like that. You know? So you got to get, right. well, get one up, one up for the queen. That's right. Now, in the meantime. And now, from around the corner and around the world, this is TUI News. Here are your rankers, Nick and Roy. Snake bites a man's penis while he's sitting on the toilet. No. A teenager was rushed to hospital after a snake bit his penis as he sat on the toilet. Sirapop Masukarat went to the bathroom on Tuesday evening when he felt a sudden searing pain in his manhood. The university student looked down and saw the python with his jaws clamped around the tip of his member. It quickly let go as blood splurted around the toilet bowl. Sirapop, 18 years old, yelled in terror as he ran out of the bathroom with his pants around his ankles in central Thailand, in, in central Thailand, which is 20 kilometers north of Bangkok. The teenagers, <laughs> the, te- the teenagers' panic-stricken mother calmed him down before paramedics rushed the lad to the nearby Bang Ye Hospital for treatment. Bang Ye. Bang in, ba- in Bangkok bid his manhood. That's right. Can't make this up. No. So there you go. There's this week's installment of news from around the world on totally useless information with Nick and Roy. We have an email. Uh, you go to our website, nickandroy.com. You click on contact us and you send us an email like this person did. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mailbag? Holly, Holly, Holly from lovely Toronto, Canada. Cool. Yeah, my neck of the woods. You should, yeah, maybe you should have got this one. Hi, Holly. She says, you are so funny. I guess she thinks you're funny too, Nick. <laughs> but uh, she wants to thank us. She says she's learned more from our 50 episodes because she binged, listened to them. Right. than she learned in school. Not saying much for Canadian school system. So, Holly, here's a Canadian fact for you. Did you know that Justin Trudeau, your prime minister, went to high school with Matthew Perry Chandler from the show The Sitcom Friends? Matthew says, yes, yeah, pretty cool. Matthew says he bullied and beat up Trudeau every day. Trudeau said... I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember that. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. We we love hearing from listeners that like the show. If you don't like the show, send all complaints to the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can send us an email. You can contact us. Go to our website, nickandroy.com. What's in the mail? So history is our next topic before we get there. So there's a, an exhibition currently at the time of this recording of this program 
Uh, there's a there's a an exhibition at the um, the museum here in Toronto. It's the Van Gogh Museum uh, exhibit, rather the Van Gogh exhibit. And um, I went there, and I had one of those you know self guided tours, and uh, and you put one of those headphones on, mm-hmm. and as luck would have it, one ear wasn't working. Happy day, history. What happens tomorrow is history. Yeah. I thought it was. I think it was my right ear. I'm not sure. I had an exhibition last night. I went skinny dipping in the pool. <laughs> yes. Roy's an <laughs> exhibitionist. <laughs> The 1904 Olympics happened in St. Louis, Missouri. The first place winner, Fred Lors, hitched a ride in the car to the end of the course after he was after he struck with serious cramping. That's right. He hitched the ride. He got out shortly before the finish line, crossed it, which fooled some of the onlookers. So that was the first place winner in the uh, in the Olympics. The second place finisher, Thomas Hicks, was given a mixture of egg whites and strychnine, a poison that's often used to kill rodents and birds, as an attempt at performance-enhancing drugs. He was carried across the finish line by his handlers. Okay, I just got to ask you a question. He came in second. So what the hell did the other people eat? Well, I I don't know. (laughs) The fourth-place finisher, okay, Adrian... Carabajal was a Cuban national who raised money to attend the Olympics by running the entire length of Cuba. He gambled away all the money, so he got to the States. He gambled away all the money and showed up for the race in dress clothing, including, you know, uh, shoes, not running shoes, but regular shoes and long pants. Con artist driving to the finish line in a car. You got the second place winner eating strychnine. And egg whites. You got the fourth place winner running it in a damn Gucci suit. Okay, what happened to third place? Please tell me. (laughs) We don't know. There's no record of the third place winner. (laughs) He probably won the race legitimately and they didn't care about it. (laughs) (laughs) They pushed him over in a walker. That's bad. That's a good. Yeah. See, folks, this is what you need to know. What year was that, Nick? 1904 Olympics. That was a great year, too. For it was. Oh, yeah. Abe Lincoln was enshrined in the Sports Hall of Fame. Not too many people know this. For his stellar oh. record and only one loss, he was inducted for his amazing wrestling career. He was a great wrestler. I, 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 but, but that makes sense, too, because what was he, like eight feet tall? And everybody yes. else at that time was like 5'2". So he just like kind of leaned over on them. <laughs> and of course, with the big tall hat, he wound up being 10 feet tall. That's true. That's a wrestling edge, that hat. That's right. It was. <laughs> uh, here's a three-for-one special. Robert Liston was a surgeon in the 1800s. I'm listening. Yes. Robert Liston, he performed an operation with a 300% mortality rate. Instead of saving the patient, he killed three people. Liston was renowned for being one of the fastest surgeons alive, which at the time was a very good thing in the 1800s. Liston was performing a leg amputation 
but worked so fast that he accidentally cut off two fingers of his assistant's hand. Both the patient and the assistant died later of gangrene because apparently the saw was not clean. (laughs) This is great. All right. That's just two. Yeah. So listen, now here's a third one. Doctors and other spectators would often watch these surgeries from the gallery, which was more up close and personal than the medical galleries today. Usually they're up a couple of floors, but in those days were really up close and personal. During the procedure, Liston accidentally swiped near an elderly doctor with the blade, but slicing just the fabric of the doctor's suit coat. Thinking that he'd been cut open, the doctor went into shock and died of a subsequent heart attack. Oh, my God. (laughs) Therefore, three people died during an operation which was meant to save one life. Okay. And And then, to make it even better, he was so famous... Mr. Liston, what was his name? Liston? Liston. Liston Liston was the uh, practicing physician at the 1904 Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) He's the guy who came in third. (laughs) You know what? No, no. You know who came in third? The guy who he operated with one leg. The guy with one leg won third place in that race in 1904. (laughs) Called him old gangy. Okay. They called him Neil. Neil. Wow, you talk about crappy luck. What president served the shortest term? William Henry Harrison. Only two months. But get ready for the crazy part. Do you know how he died? Uh, Was was Dr. Liston involved? Probably, because he died from the (laughs) common cold. A regular common cold. This, This guy went all the way to the presidency, caught a cold while he was friggin', and then he dies. Oh. That's crazy. Yeah. So I don't know if you have heard of this, but the Straw Hat Riot of 1922. Oh, yes. It was because they rejected the obligation of wearing felt. Mm -hmm. At the end of each summer during the early 20th century, generally around September, the middle of September, men would swap their straw Panama hats for more distinguished, though less breathable, felt hats. Mm. If you didn't make the switch, you were reportedly ridiculed and even risked having your straw hat stolen and stomped on. Yep. In 1922, people finally revolted against the fashion policy. Riots broke out for days and thousands of people fought, many to great injury, over the right to wear the hat of their choosing. Mm-hmm. I guess they felt their rights were trampled on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said... I don't want a straw hat. I want to get all felt up. (laughs) The English have their priorities all screwed up. Okay? Not, well, I don't know if every single English person does, but yes, they probably do. All of their their battle tanks since World War II. Battle what? Their battle tanks. You're welcome. <laughs> they all come equipped with, with one thing that they all have. They okay. have tea kettles inside the battle tanks. Okay? Guns? Nah. Cannons? Who cares? I got a tasty Earl Grey that I'm going to launch at you. <laughs> what the hell is going on inside tanks in, in a war? Oh, do me a favor, Harry. 
pass me a little bit of that um, Earl Grey or maybe a nice little English breakfast tea. I don't know what. <laughs> you got it all wrong. They were throwing the chamomile teas at their enemies. Mm. They all went to sleep. Yeah, they and, went to sleep. Uh, when did we start using surnames? Yes. Sir. So our surnames, our last names came in common use during the early Middle Ages. You would think that middle names came in the Middle Ages. But anyway, uh, Middle Ages so that people could distinguish between people with the same given first names. They were selected by making some reference to either their occupation like Taylor or Smith, for example. Personal characteristics such as strong or brown. Or location of their residence like wood or marsh. Others now common come from a child taking their father's name, including Johnson the son of John, and MacDonald, the son of Donald. Ah. There you go. Surnames from the Middle Ages. My grandmother was, was German. She was from Deutschland! And she had, her, her maiden name was Wolf, because she came from Mannheim, the, the forests of fill, filled with wolves. And she married my grandfather, whose name was Steinbach, which means Stony Brook. And they happened to live by a Stony Brook. So there you go. The Romans, they decided they needed a good mouthwash. And, you know, they assumed that ammonia would work well. So they said to themselves, where can we find ammonia? Well, they found it in urine. They decided after a good meal, let's gargle with a little urine. Okay? <laughs> Don't ever kiss anyone from Rome. <laughs> What, you know, when you go into different uh, cities, you know, when there's like a sign to welcome to Toronto, welcome to Fort Myers. I'm sure one of those signs said, welcome, you're in Rome. <laughs> you're in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> now gargle. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, maybe the, don't they have gargoyles on the buildings? Oh, no, that's different. That is all the time that we have for this week's show. I am so sorry that it's gone by so quickly, but we do have to go and scour the Internet far and wide for more useless information for you guys next week. So in the meantime, tell a friend about the trend. Go to nickandroy.com. That's nickandroy.com and subscribe to our podcast. You'll get to hear every episode. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>